the cycle podcast with dr marielle where i bring in some of my favorite healers from across the world to talk about how we transition from intergenerational trauma to intergenerational abundance our guest dr uche blackstock is a physician and a thought leader in bias and racism in healthcare, and also is in the works with writing a generational memoir so we'll definitely stay tuned for that now dr blackstock is going to invite in a professional and a personal perspective to generational healing and the ways in which when our parents do some of the work, we can basically pick up where they left off. Mm. I know some of y'all have been waiting for this angle of intergenerational healing. I certainly have, and I'm excited to present to you Dr. Blackstock. Huche, how are you? Dr. Blackstock, the no. incredible <laughs> Dr. Blackstock. You you? Can, I'm good. You can please call me Uche, please, because <laughs> I feel like we are we are friends. Like you're mm-hmm. the you're a friend in my head. Mm-hmm. So um, oh. that's the and, and well, well, I respect your work and expertise so much. Um, I also see you as a sister as well. Yes, oh, likewise, likewise, and I thank you so much for seeing me that way, for being willing to be in friendship and community with me, and then also being willing to just give us your nuggets of wisdom on this podcast. Um, I think that uh, what you have to offer is a a voice that will be really unique, but very needed to the concept of breaking cycles. So I'm excited to connect with you about that. Um, And there's so much, there's so much I have to ask you. I've been like holding off for for weeks now. (laughs) Um, But I I really wanted to bring you on um, mostly because I think there is a duality uh, between your personal life and professional life that you offer us um, on social and you know wherever you present information that I think is really valuable um, to us breaking cycles. So maybe we can kind of get into a little bit of the the personal that you you show us you know kind of publicly and then transition a bit into the the professional because I think there's nuggets that we can gather from both. Yeah, I mean, I always feel that. I have to be true to myself and be authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think people will often see me from the outside and say, oh, here is this very accomplished woman mm-hmm. who has it all. And I often think, you know, it's really important, as I said, like to be authentic for people to recognize that we all come with our stories and our stories are often very complicated. And we come with our trauma, we come with our pain, and we also come with a lot of goodness and, and love. Mm-hmm. And so I always want to make sure on social that people and not just social, but when I'm on even on air on, um, you know, I'm a medical contributor on the news, I always bring a little bit of who I of who I am, mm-hmm. right of my own perspective of my own story, because I think that's how you make connections with people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think in my therapeutic brain is like, kind of like activating right now and I'm like that is how you make connections right is when we are able to just show up as a true human even when we're showing up as a professional and as someone that has expertise and is a voice of authority in an area you know when we can show up human to human and just have that dialogue that just really bridges the connection that I think especially now we all need after all we've been through together 
Right. And, and I feel like for so long in many of the spaces I've inhabited, especially the, the professional spaces, I haven't been able to show up as myself. And I know that you can relate to this, mm-hmm. um, given where you've been, where you've been educated and trained. And I know we've been in similar spaces where, you know, I felt like I couldn't, you know, talk about my family's history, or I couldn't talk about my own experiences, or I couldn't speak a certain way, or I couldn't wear my hair a certain way, or even talk about how my experiences may set me apart from some of my colleagues. Um, And so, you know, when I left my career, like this career that I had spent all my life preparing for, so I always thought I was going to be in academic medicine. I thought I was, you know, I wanted to be a professor. And I thought that was going to be, I thought that was the end goal, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. I was in these spaces where I didn't, I didn't realize until later that I really was trying to put myself in a box or the box, not not only myself, but also other people were trying to put me in a box. Mm -hmm. And that was happening both professionally and personally. Um, it wasn't until I left and I'd had the chance to reflect that I was leading a life that really wasn't really mine. <laughs> it was what I thought I was supposed to be, right? So I thought I was I was checking off all these boxes, like, okay, I'm pre-med, I'm going to medical school, I'm doing a residency, I'm doing a fellowship, now I'm at an academic medical center, I'm going to be a professor. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, I realized I felt so empty. Mm. Wow. But people on the outside, anyone looking at me probably thought that I was so happy, so successful, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really able to do the work in a way that was was um important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could tell at when you're speaking, I could tell that this is something that has brought up profound like transformation and emotion in your life. And as you're speaking, I feel like it's so incredibly relatable. I hope that it's relatable to a lot of people listening. I feel like it's really relatable to me. I feel deeply what you're saying. Like it, when we go through those experiences where we realize that we've been socialized a certain way to believe that there are certain boxes that we're supposed to be checking. And then we're like, what? There's a whole nother way. We don't have to exist like this. Exactly. Wild. I know. And even socialize to think about what is success, like what does success look like Mm -hmm. and what does the journey look like? And then I, once I realized that I didn't need all of those accolades to be proud of who I was, like just being me was more than enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And I found the courage to leave that environment and basically carve out my own path. I pinch myself every morning. It's almost three years since I left my academic job people thought they were, they were like, are you okay? Like, is this a good idea? You know, you're leaving, you know, a great salary, um, great benefits, all of these titles to start your own company on, you know, you, I have a health equity consultancy firm. Um, but once I left, there was abundance. Mm. There was an abundance of opportunities, but all it took me was recognizing that that would be the case not even recognizing that sort of just trusting in myself I always say I took a leap of faith in myself Mm -hmm. I feel like it's almost like you always um within that journey like it it seemed as though 
you stepped into courage too. And like you were kind of rewarded for that courage. Yes. <laughs> and, and I think it's something that a lot of people don't realize is waiting for them on the other side. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know a lot of people who may be listening may feel stuck mm-hmm. in certain situations, whether it doesn't necessarily even have to be professional, it could be personal, mm-hmm. um, but stuck and so afraid to leave. Um, even though they have an idea of what, you know, this is what I would love to, to do, or this is what I think I should be. Yeah. But it's that fear that keeps us stuck. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we, we need to process that. We need to, t- I, I know, like for me, talking to my therapist, like was amazing in that journey in terms of making that realization that I would be okay. I would be more than okay when I left. Yes. Um, and like I said, there was abundance awaiting me. Yes. I love a good therapist. <laughs> oh, yes. Mine is amazing. <laughs> I love to hear that. And I love that you have a good therapist. That, that brings me a lot of joy for you. Um, I, um, I want to just take stock of, um, how you're doing and we can always, you know, just edit this piece out. Um, if you wish, I just think that when we're talking about our own transformations, it can bring up a lot for us. I know I've been, um, on a recent podcast where I was talking about specifically, one piece of my journey, which was a, the chunk of my journey where I was at um, in my grad school at Columbia and the things that I had experienced that still to this day create tenderness in me. Like, so if I were to like talk about the details, I'm better about it, but it's still, it was like six years of that experience. So it's still like a little bit tender. So I know that when we talk about how we've like immersed into, you know, who we are now, how we've like created that butterfly moment, like that can still be really tender. Yes. Yeah. I actually feel like it's even more tenderness now than when I was going through it, mm-hmm. you know, and as we, you know, as, as I've shared with you, you know, I've been through a recent divorce as well, but I think I mentioned that because I made these realizations both professional and personally at the same time it was like it really was just um as such a transformative experience for me because I was recognizing that I just wanted to get out of this box that everyone was trying to place me in like how I should be as a wife mm-hmm. how I should what how I should be as a mother mm-hmm. how I should be as a physician wow it's like everyone around me had these ideas of who I should be and I bought into a lot of that. And I realized buying into that made me very unhappy. Mm. Like, I didn't feel like I should have to choose. Um, I'm a very purpose-driven per- person. Like, I am driven by, like, whatever I do, I care very deeply about. So whether it's being a parent, whether it's being a physician, whether it's being an entrepreneur and starting my own business, Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't just do stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so for me, what a full life looked like was inhabiting all of those roles fully. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to because of what my, how my life was structured, who was in my life. And I recognized both personally and professionally, I had to make changes. And so what that looked like was leaving 
this career that I had spent years, years <laughs> working on, but also leaving my marriage and making that making that decision to leave my marriage with and then having also having two small children at the time. So I think when I was going through that, it was obviously it was a very dark time. Yeah. And it was at the beginning of the pandemic where I was working clinically, still working on my business, seeing a lot of patients, very sick patients, um, and then having to come home to a situation where there was a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, am I ever going to be somewhere different? Mm. And I remember my sister, so I have a twin sister, and she said to me, don't worry, this is only temporary. Mm -hmm. I promise you, this is temporary. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love a sister. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like um yeah, that it's there's something about, you know, when when sisters, especially when there's love, you know, that's central to the relationship. Like there's something about the words and how they penetrate. And I can see that in your story too. Like it's it, you really held on to those words. Oh, I did. And and with my sister, you know, so my twin sister, but also we experienced the loss of our mother together when we were 19 years old. So that really has created an even, even stronger bond that we went through this really horrible trauma together of losing the person that we loved more than anything, who was really our number one cheerleader. Yeah. So, um, and I think losing my mom, actually, when I was going through that tough time, it affirmed for me that I was making the right decision because she passed away when she was only 47 years old. And I said, you know, I only have this one life. I want to make sure that I'm living it wholly and fully and truthfully. Yeah. And, you know, the only way that I can do that is by making these hard decisions. Mm -hmm. Honoring yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes, absolutely. I, I treasure that for you. I think that there's, um, there's so much that we're um, fed within society um, as women, as mm -hmm. women of color, as black women, um, that really counters that, that says, don't honor yourself, actually be self-sacrificial. Everyone else matters yes. more than you. And so for you to take that stance, I feel like that in and of itself is very cycle breaking because you're not, it's not just a per personalized cycle breaking process, but it's, it's very systemic as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I remember these words my mom told me when I was only a teenager, she said, remember when you have your family and you're all grown up and you have your career, make sure you always put yourself first. Mm. And again, like you said, like, that's not the message we get from anywhere else like everywhere else we get this message that we have to be self-sacrificing mm. right that's how you show that you're a good a good parent especially a good mother right mm, yes get you to always put your children first and yes my children are like the most important thing to me but I gotta be good <laughs> I gotta good I gotta good, be good here and here to be present for them and to be the parent that I want to be to them wow that's powerful. Um, can we talk about that for a second? Because I think that for a lot of parents, they believe that they have to then hyper-focus on how they can help their children be well and live full lives. Meanwhile, they're really depleted. 
and still experiencing stress, maybe still being in trauma responses, um, maybe having, you know, some dark moments that are either short-lived or lifelong dark moments. And they're not really taking the time to help themselves and understand that helping themselves can help their children. I'm, yes. I'm just wondering if you could speak to, you know, how that's been for you to be, to be able to centralize yourself as, as somebody that matters in this equation too. Right. And, and as I mentioned, I think my mother, I think my mother was the one who broke the cycle mm. because my mom acknowledged to, to both my sister and me when we were younger that she, she struggled with depression. She struggled with anxiety. Mm-hmm. She had even attempted suicide um, before we were born. Mm-hmm. Wow. And she came from a very, very difficult um, background. You know, she had a single mom. They grew up in public assistance. She lived like 20 different apartments, you know, just very, very stressful upbringing, but became the first person in her family to go to college and graduate from medical school. So I am second generation physician. So as a Black woman, that is like a very weird thing to be able to say. But I know in doing that, it was a lot for her, right? But I think the message that she passed on to my sister and me is that we have to put ourselves first. Mm -hmm. We have to. And even as a parent. Yeah. And so what I've always done is I've always made time to take care of myself. And I obviously there are times when I've had to do that more than others. And I know that when I had my children, I have to say it was a shock (laughs) in a way because I didn't have the village. I didn't have a village around me. I didn't have my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister was there. She's very busy. She has a very, she's her own career and children. And so I struggled. I struggled a lot. I was trying to balance my career and then being a present parent, partner. And it was hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got to a point where I remember one day I just looked in the mirror and I barely recognized myself. I had lost so much weight. I was barely sleeping. I was always feeling very anxious and I'm like, something has to change. And so I started going into more into therapy, finding um, a therapist that I could connect with mm-hmm. and doing and doing that internal work that I needed to do. And yeah. part of that was like prioritizing me, mm-hmm. like making sure that I was eating well, making sure that I was sleeping, making sure that I was meditating, making sure that I was in community with my girlfriends. Like I love like the way that my girlfriends have held me down and my sister have held me down over the last few years, like is like no other, mm-hmm. but realizing that I needed to do all of that. And that, that doesn't make me any less of a parent that makes me a better parent to my children. Mm-hmm. And even my children will sometimes say like, who are you on the phone with? And I'm like, oh, I'm on the phone with my therapist. <laughs> Oh. Mom was yes. in the session. Mom was taking care of herself. <laughs> yes. I uh, that. Yeah. And so mm. I want to normalize all of that for them. Yes. Because I was like, Mama needs to talk through some stuff that's going on right now. It's so important. And I think as women, we struggle with that even more so, so much because of how we're socialized. Like, it's like we have to give everything all of ourselves to our children. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, no, we don't have to do that. We can take care of ourselves, but also be present for them mm-hmm. and not exhaust ourselves. Yeah. So yeah, so sometimes I'm probably not always checking my kids' homework like as obsessively as probably some other parents are. But I do make sure I'm in tune with them. Like I sit down and talk to them, make sure I know what's going on at school. Mm-hmm. You know, like on my older son was, I realized he was being 
bullied at school. And the only way I realized that is because I, I sit with him. I talk to him, you know, I observe and that's what I can give to him as a parent. Mm. Oh, amazing. That I feel like you are living in that parenting process. You're living the legacy that your mother left behind because you, you know, she began the cycle breaking process for all of you. Right. And so now you're able to be present in that way. She absolutely did. And, and her mother, my grandmother um, was a wonderful woman, but she carried a lot, a lot of trauma with her. And and in turn, uh, you know, my mother and all her siblings, you know, they suffered emotional abuse, physical abuse from my grandmother. And my mother said that when she had us, she said she made that conscious decision. It's like, this is not who I'm going to, the kind of mom I'm going to be to my girls. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. And I just going back to what you're doing with your kids, it, it's almost as if you're, you're creating a baseline for them to understand how important connection and our emotions are so that they don't have to then do that learning when they're our age, right? That is the goal. Mm-hmm. And I tell them like, if they're upset about things, I know they're going through a lot themselves at school, you know, seeing their parents no longer together, living in two different households. And so I give them opportunities to talk about it, mm-hmm. right? And to say, you know, every night I check in with them, say, what's on your mind? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can always talk to me about anything. I won't, I will never be angry. I'll never judge you. So I'm doing my best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm doing my best with them. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think um, it's really, it's honorable. And it's, um, I, you know, I, I can remember moments when my parents did things that in their in own imperfection, that left an imprint in me um, mm. because of their intention and the heart that they had um, in their parenting process. Um, so I think that there's, you know, we don't see it until decades later, right? Um, as parents, I would say, our parents won't probably won't see the fruits of their labor. Right, you know, right. Decades later, but, but it's- I think, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <you're>, yeah <laughs> planting seeds is su- super important. This is where it all starts. Um, and I love that um, they're benefiting from having a mother that's so intentional about planting seeds of care and love, even through a journey as challenging as divorce. Yeah. And I also want them to see that, you know, I don't think I'm perfect by any means. Like I struggle with different things like they struggle with. Yeah. Right. I'm only human. Mm hmm. I think that um, also the self-love piece, right? Because children, they soak up not just what we tell them. It's also how we show up to life. Yes. Yes. And and I really hope they, like you said, I won't be able to see this until years from now, but I hope they, I hope they see that in me now and they keep seeing that in me Mm -hmm. that, that I am choosing myself Mm -hmm. because I want them to always choose themselves. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's a beautiful message. Maybe um, I'm I'm a little curious about the the more professional piece. So I wanted to offer a little bit of a shift to in in that regard because I 
I think there's a lot that um, that you get into from the medical end that also is about how we disrupt um, or how you show up, you know, in a way that is disruptive to the the traditional ways that, you know, um, medicine has been like created, right? Um, in order to to help break cycles on a, on a larger scale. Um, I am curious about what has driven that piece for you? Like why extend it beyond yourself in such a prominent way? Yeah. Oh, no, that, that's such a great question. But I think it, it's, yeah, it starts with, with who I am, like where I come from. You know, I know I've talked about my, my mom just being a huge role model for me, but I think for what, what really struck me about her, which what I still carry with me is that she she went off to Harvard Medical School from Brooklyn mm-hmm. and she came back after and and practiced in the same community where she grew up. And that's where we grew up. So I always saw her just sort of like always giving back. So this idea of this obligation to always give back and to see what a difference you can make on a local level, but how like even that can have a tremendous impact. Mm-hmm. And then recognizing that the opportunities that my, both my parents gave my sister and me, and now we have the ability to have larger platforms mm-hmm. and to actually really affect change. So it all comes back to our communities, right? The people that people that raised me, the people that, you know, that I saw on the street corner in my neighborhood that we always said hello to, um, people that would tell us to move our car when it was alternate side of the street parking. <laughs> No, looking out for us or or shovel the front yard. Like those are the people that often our healthcare system leaves behind. Mm. And so if anything, if if I can just at least be the voice, the advocate um, to work in in service Mm -hmm. on behalf of my community, then that is like literally the very least I can do. The very least. So, so like when I said at the beginning that I'm purpose driven, like my purpose is to improve just the conditions of life for people in my community and similar communities. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. You know, um, when you were talking about the self-honoring piece, that oftentimes, it, what it brought up for me is that oftentimes self-honoring and the revolutionary work that you're doing in medicine doesn't really kind of go together. Most people, if they're doing revolutionary work, they're self-neglecting. I know. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm like really, I'm just in, in my own joy for you, right? But also for anybody that's listening that can see that model that we can do revolutionary work and work that's prominent out there in the world where we're like really disrupting the status quo and at the same time honor ourselves and look as yes. beautiful as you do and like- <laughs> you know, and just like show up with like vibrancy to life and still show up, you know, as a mother that, you know, is able to, to be present for her children. And, and there's just so much that you're modeling that can, I think it can be done. I think that sometimes we just, we don't believe that it can be done or we've been socialized to believe that there is neglect. Right. Right. Yes. And I think sometimes we don't give ourselves permission Mm-hmm. So I think for a long time, I didn't give myself permission because I think maybe there was a part of me because of how I was socialized to think I didn't deserve it mm. wow. or to think that I didn't deserve for my voice to be heard and that my voice was important. 
Wow. My perspective was important. Wow. Wow. And it is. Yes. It yes. Is. Wow. It's it's so important. Our voices, I mean, I, I admire you so much and what you are able to do with the platform that you have and how you have just flipped the script. Right. And I think what I would love to see is just empower more of us to do that mm -hmm. because that's really how you make the impact. Yeah, absolutely. We lift, lift as we climb, as they say, and we yes. like, we all like reach the top together. Yes. I truly believe in that, but I, I also believe in um, the fact that we can self honor as we're like, you know, we're making our way up. Right. And Oh yes. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I think it's a must. I think it's probably the only way that we can do this work and stay in this work that we love for a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause I think, you know, we, we know that this is a marathon and it's not a sprint, but we want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, honoring ourselves so that we can keep doing this work. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, if, if it's a, you know, um, if the goal has longevity tied in it, then we have to honor ourselves yes. to, to like, you know, it's a marathon, right? So we have yes. to like make sure we prepare and pre preparation work. I think I talk a lot about balance work, right? So I think a lot of it is about how do we achieve balance so that you're not overburdened and overstressed. Mm. Um, and then also the the honoring piece, which I, I think you're highlighting for us so beautifully, I think mm. is an element that I uh, perhaps don't highlight as an, as enough as I, you know, I can. And I think that um, this offers an opportunity to really extend that dialogue more and more. And, and I think the overburden piece is so important because people ask me, how do you do it all? And I said, and I used to say, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know. No, but then I started, I started realizing, no, I do it very intentionally. Yeah, wow. And, and I think about all the requests made of me and I probably say no to like 99.9%. Mm -hmm. Amazing. That yeah. That's because I, I try because I try not to work from a scarcity mindset. It's hard because that's how I've been socialized. Yeah. But I try hard not to work from a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, if I'm gonna say yes to this, I gotta be like, it has to be a yes with my chest. Oh, yes. Because okay. that means that this is something that um not only do I want to do, but I'm gonna be fulfilled by doing, I think is important. It has to fulfill like certain criteria. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I don't. I avoid getting overburdened. Mm -hmm. And then if I do see it happening, I just like say, okay, we got to slow down. And I tell my team, people around me, I said, you know what, just so you know, this is where my headspace is right now. Mm -hmm. For the next few months, I'm going to not be saying yes to a lot of requests coming in, just so you know. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Um, okay. So I have one final question for you, and then I want to kind of come back to that whole request piece. But my, my final question is one that I tend to ask um, all of my guests. So for you specifically, um, I want to tailor the question just a little bit, because I think a large part of what you've presented us with has been this self-honoring piece and, and really kind of emerging from a place of self-neglect. So I think if anybody that were still in the position of self-neglect as they're listening, how would you say that they can begin to break the cycle? <laughs> okay, that, that's a tough one. But I think what I would say is I want them to, to trust in themselves. Mm -hmm. um, 
to know that there is much more. There is, as I've said, abundance on that other side and that it may take a while to get there. Like, don't be hard on yourself, but it is a process, but you will get there to surround yourself by people who truly see you. Mm. Like, she truly see you with all the gifts that you have yes. um, and, and will encourage you along that journey. Yes. Oh, I love that. That was so beautiful. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for offering that. And then to to go back into, you know, um, the 99.9% that yeah. you're saying no to. I, I know you're very booked and busy, but you also have a book baby coming out. I uh, do. <laughs> so um, can you enlighten us on what your, your book is about and when we might be able to um, yes. see it on the bookshelves or on pre-order? Thank you so much for asking. Um, so the book is a generational memoir. It's about being a second generation Black physician. And I use both my and my mother's experiences, personal and professional, to shine a light on systemic racism in medicine. And so it's really a book that anyone who cares about equity, justice, um, will want to read. And it's something that even that anyone, it doesn't even matter if they're an expert, will learn something new from it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually working on the final revisions. Hopefully we'll turn it into my editor in the next few weeks and then as you know, it takes a very long time to copy edit. So it should be out sometime in 2023, maybe mid to late 2023. But I will definitely make sure to share all the pre-order information um, once I get it. Yes. And we will make sure that people get that memo. Sure. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, it's so interesting because I already had a sense of what your book was about. And then when you got into the details of the book, I still got chills. <laughs> I was like, it's amazing. Thank I cannot you. wait to read it. I cannot wait. I'm so excited for you. And and thank you for that labor because, you know, it, it's, it's a lot to write from the heart, from your experiences, from a generational angle, yes. and then also, you know, bringing in the element of um, your professional integrity and, and know-how and, and understanding of the medical field as well. So I, I know that, um, we just got to brace ourselves for that yes, gift that you've got for us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you for just gracing this podcast with your brilliant knowledge and your presence and, and your, your light. Um, we're really grateful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Marianne. Now, wasn't Dr. Blackstock just incredible? I love how it felt like we had all of the generations in this conversation here with us. That was just so powerful. And I hope that you were able to gather a lot of nuggets from everything that Dr. Blackstock was willing to share with us. Now remember that whenever we're listening to any trauma-centered content, that our body's always gonna register it and it may make us feel uneasy. So if it helps, head over to my website and click on podcast and you'll be able to see a free intergenerational trauma healing sound bath meditation that is there for you to listen in accompaniment to this podcast. I wish you well. I hope that you take care of that beautiful soul of yours and I'll see you at the next episode. Mm -hmm.